This podcast is of licensed mental health professionals linking pop culture to psychology. The information presented in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be used in place of mental health treatment or other services. All our opinions are our own. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Therapy for Nerds. This is one of your hosts, Cassidy Russell, along with Abby Ronquillo and Katie Bussey. And today we're talking about something that was kind of sparked by an, an, a recent video that I watched, at least recent as the, of the time of this recording, and that is Wisecrack's video on Disney adults and how Disney is ruining culture. I disagree <laughs> with a good portion of the things that were brought up in the video, not with everything specifically. Um, it's, it, Disney's a company and it's a big company. So there's, I do have some issues with how it's run as a company, but then there's other things that I feel like were kind of taken out of context and that kind of stuff. Maybe that's because I live in Southern California and it specifically grew up in Orange County. So I went to Disneyland a lot growing up. And so the video talks about how their view on how Disney is ruining culture as a whole. It talked, some of the points that gets brought up is how Disney cutifies fairy tales and then markets them to children, saying that it sanitizes the fairy tale out of the, the major themes and stories and thinking of the right words to talk about it. But basically, cutifies the story to make it more marketable for children and takes out some of the main lessons that could be learned from a story. Um, a couple of the examples that got brought up were Pinocchio and the Hunchback of Notre Dame and they talked about Sleeping Beauty and how Sleeping Beauty was actually like in the original story raped and gave birth to twins. I just Maybe it's just me, but I don't think that does very well in a, a children's animated feature. Just, I, I'm, I don't have kids yet, but I really don't think I would want my kids to watch that. So with that kind of basic general thoughts, I wanted to talk to you, to you two about your thoughts on, on Disney's impact on our culture and our mental health and what what you guys thought about it because again maybe i'm biased um maybe i'm just maybe i'm just a disney adult but who knows <laughs> maybe i don't know too much about this particular video um but i'm i'm interested to know why they called out adults disney disney adults or adults in particular because is it because adults were the ones that created the content is that what they mean well the term Disney adult comes from I, specifically this internet discourse of people hating on, I think specifically like millennial age pe people that are childless that are going to Disney World every year as their vacation or going to Disneyland every day. And there's then this discourse of like, if you don't have kids, don't go to Disneyland because that is a place for family and for children. 
there was a, a Twitter thread a while ago, I can't remember just how long ago, of, of, of this woman that was so mad that there were childless women at Disneyland while she had to like drag her child around and her child was upset because I think like the woman in front of them had the last pretzel or something and all and she was saying how like oh moms with small children should get to go to the front of the line and we shouldn't have to wait and if you're if you don't have children then you shouldn't be at Disneyland and so that that's where the term like Disney adult kind of sprang from at least to my knowledge yeah and then the this video in particular that I was thinking about that kind of sparked me wanting to talk about about it and talk about Disney's impact on culture was just I felt like it was a good portion of it was unfair to just how animation as a whole works one of the things that they complained about was how it's the animation was drawn to be super cute and the big eyes and it's so that kids will spend money and i feel like that doesn't take into account how that's how character design tends to work for animation i mean if you look at anime the eyes are huge and most other styles of animation tend to have big eyes. It's really just more of what animation tends to look like. There's only a couple of examples I can think of off the top of my head that doesn't have that kind of really cutesy animation, like King of the Hill. Uh, that immediately springs to mind as something that has more atomical, correct-ish kind of features, but for the most part, animation as a whole tends to, like, tends to look cute and tends to look, like, aesthetically pleasing. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think, like, you raise a lot of very related and kind of unrelated points in the arguments they were making about Disney, it feels like, because on one hand, they say millennials the generation a generation who grew up watching disney isn't allowed to like disney because they're adults now mm -hmm. and then but at the same time disney's not supposed to be geared towards children so because it's being drawn for children's style which is really just kind of like an art style and i find it kind of conflicting because i feel like those both like who is it supposed to be marketed for them like who is supposed to be allowed to mm -hmm. like disney is it specifically like families who go to the parks and that's about it or I don't know it just sounds very conflicting to me like the arguments they were making. Which is definitely something I felt too. I think they did bring up like how Disney's changed laws to help suit them which I do think is a very valid criticism like the public domain laws and laws around trademarks. Um, Disney has completely rewritten those laws to work for them and we're getting we are getting to the point where mickey mouse at least the original version of mickey mouse will be in public domain but it's it kept getting pushed back for so long and our like our law system has changed which i think is a very valid criticism but as far as like this whole cutification as being 
the worst thing ever to happen to our culture, I, I don't think is a very fair criticism. I mean, I think honestly, Disney at this point, they are the headline, right? They're just the poster child for this idea because, and I can't speak for all cultures because I, I'm, I'm just specifically thinking of the American culture. We, we personify everything. We use, we use characters for advertising soap, you know, and, and products that don't even need a character. Um, everything is cutified. Or, mm -hmm. And then we talk about advertising. Anything needs to be beautiful. Pack, we, we spend so much money for packaging and making things look aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, a company like Disney that wants children and, you know, parents as well, and they want to gear their, their target audience is a broad range of ages, whether it be a, a mom and a dad or whatever the family looks like and a teenager and like a young child or whatever, they want to be able to fit the needs of every audience member. They're going to do whatever they can to, to make this movie look like it's going to suit their needs. So I... I mean, I get what they're doing. They're just trying to make money. Yeah. I, I can't really fault them for that. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so interesting, though, because, like, the the idea of it being, like, cutified is, it's interesting that it's presented that way because I feel like a lot of times with Disney characters, they, they have, like, bigger eyes and maybe their head's a little bit bigger for their body, and that just seems very youthful because, like, it, it makes the characters look a lot younger and it's interesting that looking young is cutified, is cutifying something. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's coming into my mind is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, in Wreck-It Ralph 2, how they had brought back all the Disney princesses, not only the original voice actresses, but they had reanimated all of them in that, that 3D-ish style. The, st the, the art style was redone to fit the art style of Record Ralph 2. And so all the body proportions changed like ever so slightly for all the Disney princes for them to modify it for that style. The, to me per personally, I didn't feel like they looked that different. I mean, you could still tell like who they were, mm -hmm. even though they weren't wearing the original costumes for I think like 80% of that they had like different outfits and stuff, but you knew who they were. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I think I'm just like lost in what the argument is. Like, are they mad that things are cute? <laughs> like, is that a bad thing? Yeah, I guess to them. I mean, the one of the main things that they talked about was the movie Pinocchio, which I, I thought was an interesting choice. Uh, it, it's been a long time since I've watched Pinocchio, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm willing to bet it's been a long time for both of you as well. I think I saw it like two months ago, <laughs> like when Disney Plus came out, I was like, I need to watch everything, make it worth my money. <laughs> uh, I just like, I got just got charged for another year of Disney Plus and I mean, I will be making it worth my money. I, I watch it literally like every day, something. Uh, I just watched all of the Owl House and I freaking love that show so much. I could probably do a whole episode just me talking about how much I love the Owl House, but we're not talking about the Owl House today. We are talking about their, the Wisecrack video and their argument about Pinocchio. And so, and it has been like a week since I watched the Wisecrack video, but their, their whole argument was just talking about how they, it was a very mixed argument because on the one side, it talked about how things 
were so easy for Pinocchio, but then it was also like showing clips of the movie and it was like, how is that easy for him? Like he watches his friend turn into a donkey. He goes into the belly of a whale to save his father. Like it was, it was such a strange argument to make. And I felt like there were other movies that could have exemplated their point a lot better. What exactly was the point they were trying to make with Pinocchio? That it was, I'm trying to think of what, like, they thought that the main point of it was from the, the authors. Mm-hmm. But, well, like, but what was, like, their global point about Disney they were trying to make it because they were using Pinocchio to exemplify? It was such a, it was such a mixed argument because it was, like, they talked about how sanitized the point was and how they tried to argue like it was just so easy for him to become a real boy and it was like that doesn't make any sense if you yeah like how is that how is there a standard to become a real boy that i don't know about (laughs) like is there a handbook for making a Yeah, and like, what does the difficulty matter? I don't understand like why it matters if it was hard or easy for him. Wait a minute. Wait. Okay, hold on. Time out. Is there like okay? Is there like um, an original Pinocchio story that they're basing this off of, where like they had twist twisted into the Disney version? Is that why they're upset? Yeah, there's like an original book for Pinocchio, and granted, like I've never read the original Pinocchio book. I don't honestly plan on it because I, meh. But it was just such a, it was just such a weird argument that they were trying to make that I didn't really quite understand it myself. Because in the same breath of like, oh, it was just so easy. Like the fairy godmother just went poof and then he was a real boy. And it was like, but he did, that's not what happened in the story. Like he, like he went through a lot of very traumatic stuff. Like... Watching yeah. your best friend turn into a, a donkey, donkey yeah. and work in the mines, yeah. that's not... Get ki- getting kidnapped, I mean, yeah. swallowed by a whale. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in that movie that I don't think is necessarily, like, <laughs> easy. Yeah. And it, I was trying to argue that, like, oh, I think it was something about, like, the, the vices and how, like, bad it is and how, like, it in the book they were claiming that it there's such a more clear connection between the vices of like drinking and gambling and how it's bad and it's like but the the kid that was drinking and gambling and smoking turned into a freaking donkey like how is that if you're a kid watching that how do you take away from that anything other than hmm maybe drinking and smoking and gambling isn't the best thing to do. Like, I, I don't, I, I did not understand their reasoning for that. Their reasoning, Cassie, being that, you know, there's some kids out there that actually want to be donkeys. <laughs> so they're actually going to go out there and be like, yes, gambling, smoking, and drinking, that's what I'm going to do. So easy. Yeah, you, you know what, that, that must be true. That must be what it was. I understand why you don't agree with this video because it doesn't make any sense. 
you can't uh, you can't reason with unreasonable video <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think it like I think this conversation though really does bring up a lot of good points about well, obviously Disney is it's a big company and it, you know there's always going to be critique of companies and the way they remake stories and I, I think that's all fair but I think the part that really stands out to me is like like we said like how do people who view that content what do they take away from it how does it impact them what are they what are those lessons they're learning and circling back to like what about adults who still like Disney? Why are they all of a sudden banned from going to Disneyland? You know, not literally banned, but why is there a stigma around enjoying it still if you don't have kids or you're not a kid yourself? Like, I think there's so much that comes up even from like a mental health side of like being able to enjoy things, you know, yeah. kind of sort of talk about. Mm-hmm. Or just kind of going back to that like, you know, old thing. Like if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like if, <laughs> if someone's enjoying themselves, let them be. They're not doing anything for you. Like just let it go. Yeah. And it's interesting because it, it also reminds us it reminds me of when we talked about like nostalgia. And I can imagine Disneyland and watching Disney movies has that nostalgia feel. You know, a lot of really great content was you know released when millennials were kids. And of course they're gonna enjoy it at a later point. Um, and, you know, I wonder how that could be detrimental, though, to the people who do enjoy it, knowing that there could be almost like a stigma around it within some communities of, of them enjoying that. Of course, yeah. If, if you ever feel a tinge, even, of someone not accepting you for whatever it is that you, you like and genuinely like, you're going to have some type of aversion to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of times when there are those, these criticisms, like these videos telling you, oh, it's not right, it's, it's not good, it's bad, or whatever it might be, even if they don't make sense, you question yourself, especially if you fall in that category of that video is speaking to me. Yeah, like there, it's, it's hard to not hear that and have some internalization of the message being communicated through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know what, I have this problem, you know, now that you bring that up, I have this problem a lot that I've noticed with my clients is like, mm-hmm especially through social media, they'll watch something and they'll identify, they'll, they'll try really hard to identify with it. And it, it's a double-edged mm-hmm. sword. Either they do identify with it and then they feel anxiety from, oh, that video was made for me, mm-hmm. or they feel anxiety because they can't relate to it. So mm-hmm. they feel left out. Yeah, and how confusing that must be for people to either relate and, you know, maybe relate in a way they don't want to or not relate and be like, is there something wrong with me? Why don't I connect with that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like what you were talking about, Katie, it really m- reminded me of my middle school self and having everyone at my school totally crap on Pokemon. And like my best friends at the time, definitely don't talk to them anymore, but my best friends at the time were like made fun of me for still watching it. And so I flipped to, oh no, I hate Pokemon. Like, I, ew, that's so kid. Like, I flipped so much. And then in high school, there became this craze of like people playing it again. And I remember being so confused at first and being like, oh, I, and like still really hesitant. And then I saw like one of the most popular girls or whatever on a Game Boy playing like Pokemon Yellow. And I was just like, oh, oh, so this is okay. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, I, I lost out on three years of my Pokemon love because of crap that other people were talking about. Yeah. 
and how heavily like how important for us as individuals especially at that age like those tender middle school high school ages just to fit in you give mm -hmm. up so much of yourself just to have the identity of, of fitting in with with people mm -hmm. like I always I always joke with my friends because like we'll pass by like Hot Topic or the mall or something and like you'll see like Harry Potter wand or like any type of like Harry Potter memorabilia and I'll be like oh these kids have it so easy these days because like <laughs> back in my day, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you would have to make that stuff. There was no such thing as Harry Potter memorabilia, like literally nothing. Like Hallmark was the only place that sold anything Harry Potter relatively. And it was like an ornament this big, like that was it. I know, cause I owned all of it and there was only like five. Yeah, I mean, I I'm glad, go ahead, Katie. Katie. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was just gonna say it's, it is so true though, because when something is new and maybe some people get really invested in it but it hasn't become necessarily very widespread yet if people don't understand kind of like we said if people don't understand they may not like it they may be adverse to it and and i think it's so hard because we know times change trends change uh views on different things change and it it can be very hard like the, the example you gave earlier Cassidy, about you were like into Pokemon before it was cool kind of thing and it can be hard because now it's cool and like everyone's doing it it's okay to have that enjoyment but if your your social world says don't do that it's hard to feel comfortable continuing to do it <sighs> how confusing how confusing <laughs> to be a person you know mm -hmm. mm. yeah and to get pretty conflicting messages too because I I think like with like the Disney adult it's it's very much a presence of like people who are adults and really enjoy Disney. And it's, I know a lot of people who are collectors of different Disney items, like very into Disney and having that ability to go. And I don't think Disney's trying to turn away adults. Like I haven't gotten the impression that they don't want adults to be part of their, their movies, viewing movies or going to their, their parks. So how conflicting it may be if you go and then say there is like an angry individual at the park who's like, you don't belong here because you're a childless adult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would even argue that Disney's been really catering to like the millennial Disney adult audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, yeah. <clears throat> sorry to, to interrupt. They even have like a whole section on their website now. It's called Disney Style, which is 100% catered to our age range. And mm -hmm. it's just products that are for adults like mm -hmm. pop sockets well i guess kids can use pop sockets too i shouldn't say that it's like an adult <laughs> thing but like i don't know like for me it's just like coffee mugs like i don't think kids need coffee mugs <laughs> you speak for yourself you don't know that yeah, yeah like 10 year olds <laughs> drinking second cup of joe of the day or i don't know <laughs> yeah but but overall, like, what are the messages we get from that? You know, like we, we have one side telling us it's okay. The other side says, no, that's, that's not for, it's like almost there's an othering, like your group isn't allowed to be part of this. And, mm -hmm. I, and I can hear how that would be really detrimental. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that, that, that message can be personified in almost all parts of who we are outside of like this topic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the internal and external conflict happens because a lot of times what we want and what we need is not necessarily matching our society, our neighborhoods, our families. Um, mm -hmm. So it's hard to navigate through all that. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's just a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to things of like, 
oh, you can't be an, an adult and like these things. And it's like, who makes that rule? Bills. Like, is there like an age limit? Like, you know, you must be this tall to ride this ride, but once you hit this age, you're not allowed to ride this ride. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting to me what is considered okay to be obsessed with and what's not okay to be obsessed with. Like if you're obsessed with a sports team, like, you're obsessed with the Raiders, Chargers. You can obviously tell I'm in LA because I don't know the names of anything else. <laughs> then that's like, then you're fine. Like that's totally cool. If you're obsessed with Disney movies, then you're childish. And why are you like, why are you watching those movies? They're meant for kids. And it's just like the gatekeeping to adulthood so weird to me it's so it's so interesting that you bring up like the the sports thing too because i remember like i don't remember if it was sociology or anthropology but i do remember like this whole concept of like things being socially acceptable but only in like certain contexts so like you can go to like a sporting event and like yell your head off and be like yeah kill them but like if you said that in a parking lot or in a grocery store it's completely not okay (laughs) so maybe you can like like disney or like like childish things or like I don't know, like for example, like Halloween, you could dress up and like it's okay, and then like in certain other aspects, it's not okay. So like, <laughs> why do we like you said? What's with the gatekeeping? Like why? Who says that we can't do certain things in certain places at certain times? And it's it's interesting because I I almost wonder if sometimes there is a view that, you know, like not necessarily exactly at eighteen, but once you are in the adultish world you have to stop liking things that aren't adult-like. Like, you need to put on your adult clothes and get an adult job and have adult interests. And, like, there is, like, a degree of, like, this linear adulthood that you're, you're there's kind of an expectation to follow. But how? Like, how do we anticipate that, like, that our young adults are going to have that when we don't do anything to prep, like, at all, prep them for that? Like, we don't even prep them for careers. We don't prep them for college. We don't prep them for any of these experiences past, like even to 18. We're kind of just like, oh, bye, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, and I have all these clients who are like, oh my gosh, I'm 18. I don't know what I want to do the rest of my life. And I'm like, of course you don't. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's okay. No, it's not okay. And I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. And I feel like the pressure it is getting put on people younger and younger ages. Like I know I've encountered people yes. who are early teens who are like, I have to know what my career is going to be and where I'm going to live. My passion. And like, yeah, like they have to have everything figured out. And it, I feel like there is this pressure to grow up so quickly and it, it extends obviously into an adulthood, but I feel like it's getting younger and younger. There's the expectation to be an adult already. I feel like there's, I feel like that's in part due to this, the difficulty of getting into college these days and how kids are being prepped at a younger and younger age as to like kids in middle school, kids in elementary school will be signed up for all of these things. And it's because the parents are like, oh, this will look really good on your college applications. What college is looking at a kid's elementary school crap? Like, Mm-hmm. No, no college is looking at that, but we have this expectation that, and now it's so difficult to get into college that you have to have be in 
three sports, have a 5.0 GPA, mm-hmm. and cure cancer. Like, that, that's the expectations these days, and it's just burning our kids out. And I feel like it really did start with the millennial generation, because I remember going to school and there being this constant, like, rhetoric of, oh, you have to be doing more if you want to get into college. And I wasn't like an amazing, I wasn't a terrible student when I was in high school, but I wasn't like the best one. I still got into a state school and I still did what I wanted to do. Like, well, I didn't even know that I wanted to do this, but whatever, that's a story for a different time. And it, it really burned out the millennial generation. So it doesn't surprise me that we seek comfort in things that we loved as children. And I don't, feel like there's anything necessarily wrong with that yeah and it's I think it's been an adaptation within our society because I I think we've kind of been formed on the basis of like grow up really like you know generations like you think back to like way back like industrial age like kids were working in like factories and stuff like we were we're saying you got to grow up as fast as possible so you can start working and while we are obviously not at that place right now, we have a lot more child labor laws in place, which is a good thing. We have found ways of still perpetuating the idea of like, you need to be preparing to be an adult. You're, you need to start being an adult now in the way that you can within this capacity of a school setting, of a adolescence. And it, you know, I can see how there's the idea of preparation, but it's very linear there's not a lot of room for other options because like i know i've encountered people who are like i'm never going to a community college i'm never going to a state school like there's the belief it's like failing almost if you had to go to community college you failed you didn't get into the big school and it's it's not even an option even though it is still an educational path it still can absolutely set you up to go where you want to go and saves a lot of money Mm -hmm. but then at the same time don't like disney Go to college, spend a lot of money, but you're not allowed to like Disney either. There's so many catch-22s when it comes to growing up of just like, go to college, get in debt, but then, oh, well, you decided to go to college, and this is like, it's just like being an adult, there's so many pitfalls, and people aren't going to do it 100% effectively all the time. And I don't, and I feel like that's a really unrealistic expectation to have on people to be 100% adult all the time. And we shouldn't have to give up our interest as we get older. I think that's part of it. I think it's like, there is such a high expectation all the time to be an adult, to do all these things that like we're desperately clinging on to something that feels familiar like it's scary to move on to things it's scary to have all these changes and like what the heck are taxes what the heck is buying a mortgage like I don't want to do all that like let me just remember this familiar place and these familiar movies that make me feel safe and good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the time before all the responsibilities right (laughs) just for an hour like please just leave let me be But I I feel like we kind of came full circle here on the view of Disney and and some of the beliefs around why people may be like, once you're an adult, Disney's not for you anymore. Um, And it's it's challenging because, you know, like I know our our last time we we met, we were talking about how people should be able to take breaks and do what they enjoy. 
Um, but we can see all these barriers to that, like even just past like the productivity, the also expectations of, of growing up and, and all these other pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Society has told us that it's not okay to take breaks and that you have to keep working. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know if you guys ended up playing the games that we were talking about last week, but I know I didn't. I mean, it's partly because my apartment got flooded. <laughs> oh, another adult thing. Yeah, yeah. there's an adulthood in the way. <laughs> <laughs> when you were a kid, like, obviously that would affect you, but you'd be like, oh, mom, mom or dad got it. Adult mm -hmm. got it. It's cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it'd even be kind of like a fun, like, wow, I've never seen water in the house yeah. before. Kind of thing. <laughs> Things like that are all the more reason why we should be allowing ourselves to take breaks is because we don't know when we'll get the next one. And if your break is watching Mulan, then who cares? And I think we could have a separate conversation on uh, the live action remakes because I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> I did not pay for it. Did you pay for it? Hell no. <laughs> and it's coming out next month for free, like for free for Disney Plus. Like, uh, but I also like, I don't like this classification of animation being lesser than live action because animation isn't a genre it's just a medium of storytelling so you can have animation in all sorts of genres like there can be horror movies there can be comedies there can be romance it's just it's just a means of storytelling so I don't like this whole oh we're doing like Lion King, but in realistic style. And it's like, well, no, you just ripped all of the significant um, symbolism of the animation style and of all the colors, because there's so much, the colors in the original Lion King were so symbolic and they meant so much. And then they just like ripped that out and just put a bunch of boring lions that couldn't smile or do anything on the screen. And yes, I have so many feelings about it. I, yeah, I was like, we're going to have to have a whole nother conversation about this. I can go on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, my love of animation is considered really childish, but it's just like, it's just a means to tell a story. Why is it just because boomers watched animation as their Saturday morning cartoons doesn't mean that it has to stay like that. And animation pushes so many boundaries when it comes to storytelling that we really shouldn't keep it in this stupid little box. I mean, look at Up. The first 10 minutes can have nearly anyone crying. That is just really good storytelling. I literally thought you meant like look it up and I was like look at look up what <laughs> I was like oh 10 minutes got you awesome. the movie up yes yeah well I, I think what I'm hearing I know we're getting close to the end of our time but I hear our takeaways like Disney don't like Disney like do whatever he makes you happy be, yeah. be your authentic self if that's what you want to do in the therapeutic <laughs> sentence way yes be your authentic self. Thank you for listening to Therapy for Nerds. If you liked this episode, hit that like button, subscribe, comment, and check out the links to our social medias where you'll be sure to get all of the latest Therapy for Nerds information.
and be kind to yourselves this week.